Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Let's go ahead and start calling that sports. What do you say, Tim? I'm in. Today yeah. is Wednesday, January 15th. I'm Justin Cochiola. That was Tim Hurth. Uh, you know, we were going to have a really easy, fun episode to talk about. We kind of delayed this till after the national championship. We're going to do a little recap. We are still going to talk about that game, but... Uh, we're sitting here on Tuesday night. It's 8.08, about to watch Virginia Tech and Wake Forest take off. We've got Clemson about to upset Duke, beating North Carolina and Duke back-to-back. How about that, Clemson Tigers? Uh, and that's that's basketball. But uh, <laughs> some big, big breaking news for the Hokies, kind of. Um, kind of, yeah. Kind of news. It's definitely news if it, if it happens. Uh, Justin Fuente, uh, you know, your head coach for the Virginia Tech football team, is set to interview in person at Baylor for the head coaching position. So that is set to take place in the next day, uh, according to Peter Thamel, I believe is how you pronounce his name, a reporter yeah. uh, for Sports Illustrated, I believe. So Yeah, big-time um, national reporter, too, who typically yeah. is uh, typically ab- about gospel correct. when it comes to sources. So Yeah, so with Fuente here, uh, he is the leading candidate, according to Pete. Um, which isn't a surprise considering some of the other guys that they've interviewed. They had a guy that they interviewed internally. Uh, they had uh, the Louisiana head coach. Uh, so Fuente's definitely the, the biggest fish that they're going after, which, you know, I, th- I think, Tim, you know, we were talking about it offline here a little bit. We're pretty late in the game from a hiring head coach standpoint. You know, it's, it's pretty normal for, you know, some guys to uh, – to kind of filter in in the uh, positional coaches uh, this time of year, but with uh, with head coaches, they're typically set at this point. But the Baylor situation was unique because Matt Rule went to the NFL. That's so right. So the NFL always has a later hiring period. And uh, so here we are. So here we are, middle of January. The 2019 football season is officially over. You know, we saw Joe Brady bolt LSU today to go to Carolina Panthers to be their offensive coordinator. And, yep. uh, you know, we're potentially looking at Virginia Tech as head coachless by the end of this week, maybe even as early as Thursday. Yeah, um, that would be certainly a, a, a left turn at Albuquerque for the Virginia Tech football program for Whit Babcock. Um, you know, I have so many thoughts, right? Like, Justin Fuente certainly hasn't won over the fan base to this point. Um, if he underperforms next year, uh, you know, the seat would certainly be pretty hot given the talent that's on the team and what the expectations are. So you can see all these reasons, if you're Fuente, as to why now might be a good time to take a job like Baylor. Gets you closer to home, gets you back in the Big 12. I don't know if there's any love for that conference with him or not. Uh, you know, he'd be going against his beloved TCU year in and year out. Um, and, and, you know, he would head out of town maybe before things got a little hinky in Blacksburg in regards to uh, his job tenure. Um, I could see reasons for Fuente to make that jump. You know, from an athletic standpoint, from Whit Babcock's standpoint, uh, you don't want to lose your coach at this point in the season regardless of, you know, what he's done. But especially considering that Fuente hasn't – he hasn't been terrible. Um you know, he's done okay. He's had a couple of, of years where I feel he could have performed better. But as it stands right now, he is poised to absolutely springboard into 2020 with, I think, his most talented team to date. Um, so losing your coach now with the high hopes that came with the football season would be a, a big blow. Um, 
you know, and Whit Babcock, the only good thing about it is it would get Fuente's uh, contract off the books, which from a buyout standpoint kind of limits what you're able to do with him, especially for an athletic department that may or may not be strapped for cash. Uh, you know, and my thought as fans here is, you know, let's see how it plays out. Uh, you know, I don't know. Obviously, we can't prognosticate, but it certainly seems like Fuente, based on what we're seeing on a couple different sources now, he is the number one target uh, for the Baylor Bears. And it wouldn't be surprising to see him make that jump, given his connections to the area and uh, where his tenure is at at Virginia Tech. Yeah, so, and I mean, what I'll say, too, is, you know, Will Stewart, Tech Sideline, mentioned tonight on Twitter that a source told him that there's a lot of juice to this, which I assume would mean, you know, a good possibility this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I mean, hey, you know, Fuente's from Tulsa. You know, he went to OU, then he transferred to Murray State. He's got the TCU connection. You know, he's familiar with that area of the country. Um, so it does make sense from that standpoint now. Just does it mean that he's going to absolutely accept? Uh, no. no. No, it doesn't. I mean, he's making four points or set to make four point two five in twenty twenty. Okay, so that's not chump change. You know, his salary is in the top third of of the ACC. Um, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech they get this wrap up. They don't spend money on coaching salaries, but then if you look at it, you know, throughout the conference, they actually rank yeah. towards the upper tier. So, sure. You know, I think I think you got to give him some credit there. You know, if he leaves, he leaves. I mean, it's just it's part of the game, right? It's a right. business. Yeah. Um, it's part of the know, game and, and think about what it could be, right? I mean, this wouldn't be a situation where the next coach would be coming into a bare cupboard type scenario. What I said in regards to tech's talent outlook on the 2020 season still holds true in that the next coach will be able to springboard, hopefully off of the talent that's in there, much in the same way that Justin Fuente did getting to the ACC championship in his first year, uh, with Frank's guys and Gerard Evans, um, I now, think I get what the it. concern is is we're late in the process, right? Right. So your your pool of applicants is more limited and or you have leftovers and or you've got some candidates from national championship caliber opponents that maybe don't interview or, you know, schools don't want to wait for these guys to to come to the table. And so, you know, what I will say is this, like I'm not itching for Fuente to to walk out the door. You know, if, you know, in a perfect world heading into 2020, uh, sitting here today, not knowing what the future holds, who that next coach will be, because, you know, just just because there's a big name out there that is a coordinator doesn't mean they're going to jump ship, you know? Oh, no. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to go with Fuente into 2020, 20, what year is it? 2020. Okay, so. Yeah. Um, but if not, it's not going to be the end of the world for me. The sky's not falling. No. Now for... There's a lot of noise on Twitter. Well, you know, careful what you wish for. You know, true statement. But it, it, you know, it at is, the end of the day, it's not. It's not doomed. It's not a doomsday scenario here right. that we're talking about. It, and so, it's okay to wish for your football program to do a little better in a weak ACC than the Virginia Tech Hokies have. So come on with that talk. I, I don't like that. But I will say the ideal scenario is Justin Fuente is the head coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies in 2020. There's no question. Um, that is the best possible outcome for Virginia Tech as it stands today. I am in no way a proponent or hoping that Fuente takes this move. Um, but I just wanted to, like you, point out the flip side to this, which is not the end of the world if he does go. Twenty twenty, Our hopes for 2020 are not shot out the window. 
Whit Babcock, smart guy, good athletic director, I guarantee you he's going to make the right hire if the decision, if he has to make that decision. Um, and the key there is, okay, make sure you get the right head coach and retain the players that you currently have. We're going to have attrition, regardless of whether we have a new head coach or Justin Fuente stays. That roster that's going into 2020 right now is not going to be the same uh, as it is when we kick off in August. No, However, but I'll tell you, we're, we're set up for attrition not being a terrible thing right now. No, you know, we're we've deep. Got, we've got we're 88 deep. scholarships right now. You can only have 85. So we have to have guys leave uh, with the with the recruiting class that we have coming in. So not saying that you know it's a good thing when you're when your players bolt, but um, yeah, anytime there's a coaching change, you know that is to be expected. And again, you know it's not like the sky is going to be falling. So I mean. What does it mean for recruiting? We signed a lot of the current class early. And I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. Um, Whenever you got a new coach coming in, especially this late, there's really little they're really going to be able to do on the recruiting trail. Uh, You you might see one or two guys flipped, uh, but it's not going to be anything groundbreaking. You know, we've got we've got a couple of questions on here, Tim, I want to get to. And, um, you know, for some reason, I had Auburn on my mind. And really, um, really quickly, before you get to the questions, I wanted to touch on that point you made in regards to recruiting. Mm. Everybody knows Demetrius Davis, borderline five-star quarterback, dual threat out of Texas that we have committed in the 2021 class. Um, just so you guys know, uh, if this were to happen um, on Twitter, don't tw- first of all, don't tweet at recruits. Stop it. Everyone who's <laughs> listening to this, stop tweeting at high school recruits. As bad yeah. as you want to do it, rest your Twitter fingers. However... A group of Hokie fans They're tweeted uh, that Demetrius Davis uh, probably wouldn't come to Virginia Tech if Justin Fuente was fired, and Demetrius Davis basically said that's untrue, um, which which brings him to almost well, legendary Justin Fuente's not with being Virginia fired, Tech. right? Well, I mean, you know what I mean. If Virginia yeah. Tech leaves, or if Fuente leaves Virginia Tech, um, so for me that was pretty cool to see. So basically, it was uh, you know we might lose Demetrius as a star recruit if Fuente was to leave and he basically replied with no y'all won't so um yeah and I mean from a recruiting standpoint it's way too early to be worried about it because yeah you just have no idea who knows where he's gonna sign in the next couple of days between now and then yeah and I mean commit recommit you never know it's we're talking about a year away more than a year away from national signing day in 2021 you know we don't even know who our head coach is going to be in two days you know we thought we did but we don't so things can change pretty quickly so recruiting-wise, like, there's really nothing to worry about. You know, as far as, like, you know, quarterback battles and things like that, like, again, it just it doesn't matter right now because we just we don't know what the coaching staff is going to be. I, I think the thing that we're missing here is, depending on who comes in, they're probably going to want to bring in their own staff. That's yes. pretty usual <laughs> with, yeah. you know, head coaches at, at this level. And, um, you know, let's... Let's look at Brent Venables for a second, because you know I'm going to bring his name up. Because of that course, would be as you should. the ideal hire, in my opinion, for Virginia Tech and Hokie Nation. And I think, you know, yes. from from Venables' standpoint, Tim, you know, he's making about $2 million in base salary. And again, Fuente made 4.25. You know, he signed a five-year deal in, in 19 that's going to pay him about $11.6 million over the life of the contract. Virginia Tech can afford Brent Venables. There's no doubt. Does Brent Venables want to leave? I think that's the question. And I mean, historically, he hasn't wanted to. 
And it hasn't necessarily been a Bud Foster situation because he has had high-level jobs that he could go to. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know if he will leave. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball. You know, you've got Justin Hamilton there. You just brought in a bunch of new coaches on that side of the ball. Most likely for them, that means they're either going to follow Fuente out the door, which they probably won't because it's a very Virginia footprint, or, you know, they're going to hope to be retained under uh, under Venable's watch. So a yeah. lot of a lot of moving pieces there. Um, that's just one example. There's, you know, there's a couple of other guys that I sure. think would be pretty good fits. You know, well, Dave look, Aranda, look the, like we mentioned. Look at but Dave Aranda, look at the other side of the ball at Clemson. I think the co-OC Tony Elliott would be a, a good pull from yeah. Clemson. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of prime assistant coach candidates. Uh, you know, and since we're throwing out half-baked scenarios right now, uh, how would you feel about uh, Shane Beamer if Jerry Kill stayed on in a similar role? I'd be shocked if Shane Beamer was brought here as a oh, head coach. Oh, me, me too. I, I was gauging how you would feel about it if, you know, the knock on Shane is right, the experience as a head coach. Um, yeah. I think the Beamer name still carries value, obviously, as most people do. Um, and I think his presence wouldn't necessarily be bad for the football program. But if you had him sort of mentored by a guy like Jerry Kill, um, you know, he would have the right starting point, which would be a talented well, team. That that kind of leads me to my other scenario here is – what happens with Jerry Kill? Because to me, right now, Jerry Kill's the only guy internally that would even have a shot at being the head coach. Zero doubt. And I don't think he can do it from a from a health standpoint. Yeah. So for me, Kill was brought in as an advisor to Fuente. Right. So I don't think he would hang around. I could be wrong. But yeah, I think I, he would either go with Fuente or, you know, maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe he can coach again. But yeah. I just kind of don't see that happening. Right. And maybe it is one of those things where it was Fuente's relationship with him that sealed the deal and he wouldn't work here with anybody else. Um, or maybe, you know, he came to Blacksburg and loves it and doesn't want to leave. And, and you can persuade him to stay on in an advisory role if you wanted to go hire an unproven head coach. Um, you know, I think he could certainly be an asset. But all of this is is really just, you know, I mean, we're just talking. We're just having fun. I, I don't think any of this has real legs at this point. I honestly would still be extremely surprised if Fuente left for Baylor because, you know, I mean, he's, he's set up. I can see the reasons why he would do it. But, I mean, come on, this this team that he has, the, the commits that he has, uh, speaking specifically of Demetrius, who's uh, maybe a generational-type recruit for the Hokies at quarterback, um, you know, it's going to have to be a heck of an offer, I would imagine, for, for Baylor to be able to uh, uh, pull Justin Fuente away from us. Yeah, you know, Josh Parcel had a tweet, which I'm not always a huge fan of Josh Parcel's tweets. And he said, um, you know, Virginia Tech is Iowa. You know, don't be surprised if a coach leaves. Well, okay. You know, I'm not saying that's not the case. But then what the hell is Baylor? Yeah. Because <laughs> Baylor no, is Virginia Tech. That's don't, what I'm I saying. I mean, don't be fooled. That tweet irritated like this, me. This, this like, is a step a step down I'd yeah. say and I understand Baylor's coming off an Orange Bowl appearance but you know before the Art Bryles era Baylor was garbage right. I mean they were a bottom feeder they were worse than Duke historically yeah okay I mean they were, I mean, they, they were, they were nothing bad. and I mean Bryles built that program up to what it is today obviously right. it turns out he built it on you know some pretty bad ethics 
Um, and so then came Matt Rule, and he kind of revived it. And you know they've got great facilities there. We've talked to to Michael Brewer, his brother uh, Charlie Brewer goes there, and you know he was talking about the facilities. And I mean, hey, you know they're doing good things at Baylor. Um, you know, however you feel about the program or not, is it a better job than Virginia Tech? I mean, maybe today because they're coming off a Sugar Bowl, but. I still don't feel like it is for the long term. And I mean, you're in a fertile, uh, you know, recruiting bed, but you're always going to be competing against Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. I mean, there, there's a lot of talent in Texas, but there's a whole lot of hands in the cookie jar. So, you know, to win at Baylor consistently, you know, maybe the stakes, maybe the standards just aren't as high there. You know, yeah. they've certainly been elevated, but I think from a fan base standpoint, it's a much smaller school. Yeah. So the pressure isn't what it is at Virginia Tech. It's really more of kind of a TCU level pressure, right? Where you know you can have a, a guy who's been there for years and and do good things. I mean, but you know hasn't done much lately. If you ask me, and right. Gary Patterson is who I'm talking about. And I think the premise is sort of flawed with that tweet anyway, because I don't. Maybe I I just don't see it. I don't see Virginia Tech fans holding this sort of. Uh, vision that they're somehow in the same stratosphere as a program like Ohio State to begin with. Um, so I, I think I mean, that's I would a misread. hope not. I mean, if you do I think, think that, misread. I'd love to hear from you. Right. I would um, like you to, to justify that. And I don't think any Hokie fan really, really places the program in that sort of stratosphere. But um, as you said, Baylor certainly isn't either. Um, you know, they're, they're nowhere close and I'm of the mind that it's, you know, maybe a, it's close to a lateral move. I mean, I'll be honest with, if you looked at recent history, Baylor certainly looks a lot more appealing than Virginia Tech does just from a a win loss standpoint. If you take out obviously the scandal year, um, in which rule was brought on to kind of fix Bryles' mess, but, um, you know, traditionally program wise, you know, location wise, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's it's a lateral move with, I would think, Virginia Tech a little higher, but certainly nowhere near like an Ohio State type comparison. Um, no. You know, that that's flawed. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where we sit here now and, and basically in summation, I don't want Fuente to go anywhere. I know you don't want Fuente to go anywhere. It seems we may be put in the position, uh, we as fans, uh, athletic department will have to make some tough decisions in regards to who they can bring on if Fuente chooses to leave. And this was not a place where the Hokies thought that they would find themselves. So uh, if you thought the offseason was going to be boring, uh, buckle up. Yeah, here we were thinking, you know, hey, we haven't seen too many guys enter the transfer portal. You know, we we had some bombs with Dalton Keene announcing that he was going to enter the NFL draft, um, you know, which, which I had on my list of things to talk about here, which sure. we will talk about. But you know, other than that, it's been a relatively quiet offseason. It's it's mostly been just around coaching hires and coaching noise and, and things like that, which, you know, at the end of the day may mean nothing in a couple of days because who knows yeah. what's gonna happen. So Look, you know, we were here with we were here with Beamer once upon a time in North Carolina. This is not yeah, I mean it's not it's not, not ground. New. It happens. But I, I think what is different is it's a completely different regime, right? It's a completely different sure. era in college football. And sure. you know, do I think Bud Foster's going to come back and be head coach? No, because he was interviewed once before, didn't get it. Now he's retired. I, I think that ship has sailed. Now, okay. Now, well, just it, for fun, because sense? this is a podcast, just for fun, Justin, 
would you be happy to see Bud Foster come out of retirement and take over the reins of the football program? Yeah, I mean, I would I would not be upset. Yeah, but I, think I, I, would and I mean, hey, you know, honestly, from what we've talked about with filling out the coaching staff, it's the move that makes the most sense on paper, sure. hands down. Now, how committed are we to that staff? I don't know. And again, it doesn't matter because if you go out and you bring somebody else, you know, they're going to want to do their own things. But, you know, Whit Babcock, you know, he's a connected guy. I'm sure he's got, you know, constantly a short list of guys that he'd go after. You know, I don't know if we'd see a, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying this based off of current performance, but like a Mike Young style hire where it's just an off the radar guy. That doesn't happen so much in football just because, you know, you don't really have, the number of schools. You're not going to go get yeah. JMU's head coach and make him your head coach if you're a Power Five program. That's yeah, just but not. You're certain, you'll certainly grab their their safeties coach tournament. Yeah, you can go grab their safeties coach, but yeah. that's completely different than going to grab their sure. You know their head coach. You know sure. that's who you see go to East Carolina and be their head coach. Of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's guys out there: PJ Fleck, Dave Aranda, Brent Venables. You know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear a variety of names. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure Witt has a plan. You've always got, you've always got your fire drill plan. Um, what I would hate to see is, you know, Virginia tech to end up with a guy like Chris Ash, for example, as your head coach. More like Chris burn your program to Ash. Yeah. Or just something like that where. You know, you're just kind of like, wow how how did we how did we get here? Like that. <laughs> I mean, strong. that to me is is worst case scenario. Um, yeah. And I I don't think that'll happen. But I also think we need to be realistic. And you know, are we going to get you know one of the bigger names at this point in college football? I I, I kind of lean towards no. So. Yeah. Well, Willie Willie Taggart's unemployed right now, isn't he? No, no, he's Florida Atlantic head coach. Oh, okay, good. Thank but you. But I'm, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could pluck him away. Sure. I like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, weren't weren't really planning to talk about this today, but, um, you know, here we are. We'll monitor the situation. And uh, so did we you know, have we'll, uh, we'll, questions to get to specifically? I know I saw some stuff well, on Twitter coming in. Yeah, I kind of we kind of addressed them, just not one okay. by one. I think just Perfect. from a from a spread wise, we we did it. Yeah, we covered it. Um, OK. Let's see if anything else has come through here. Nope, just people making fun of me saying Auburn. So I don't that know. That was the pretty Auburn good, thing. man. I mean, yeah. you missed that one by a fair bit. So. Yeah. Well, I, like the thing is, like even after I realized what I had done, I repeated it to my wife. I said, "Yeah, he's he's going to interview at Auburn." Like I, <laughs> I don't know why Auburn was on the mind, but I don't know, man. Look, no worries, no worries. Um. Bro. So here we are. You know, we're we're a day. What day is today? Tuesday. Yeah. So we're Tuesday. a day after the national championship game. So we had LSU and, and Clemson, obviously, and um, it was a game where Clemson was the underdog. I think they were about a five and a half point uh, underdog, and uh, it was a good game up until a certain point, and then LSU just kind of overtook it. So, you know, with Clemson, they came out strong. Sure. You know, they came out like we, I think, what we expected them to come out. You know, uh, they were doing really well in special teams. They were given LSU a really short field. LSU was really struggling to move the football. Uh, Clemson was scoring, you know, pretty consistently. Trevor Lawrence started off hot, six for eight. Uh, but then Trevor Lawrence just kind of hit a wall, and he just didn't have a good game. 
And, you know, I'm not going to be one of these types to jump all over Trevor Lawrence's case and and uh, try to tear him down and try to compare him to Deshaun Watson that, you know, he's he's not nearly as good as Deshaun Watson. And, you know, how could we hype up a guy like this? Blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, Trevor Lawrence is a true sophomore. He's barely 20 years old. Okay. He sure. tore down uh, one of the most dominant defenses in, in college football history last year in Alabama. How we how we seem to forget so quickly as a true freshman. So first loss of his college career, he didn't play great. But really, Tim, I didn't think anybody on Clemson played particularly great um, other than their linebacker who got ejected. You know, Skalski, he was all over the field. He was awesome. Um, which, by the way, if that wasn't like exhibit A for we need a flagrant one, flagrant two targeting, I think that was the case uh, because it was not – with any intent that he went in there, but him being off the field was a devastating loss uh, for that defense. Yeah, there's no doubt. It, it changed the game. Um, it absolutely changed the game. But, you know, completely correct, though, when you get to as far, you know, the, the call. Uh, you, you, I've said it all the time on this podcast. You just got to keep your head up, really, is all this boils down to. Um, and, you know, it, after that, that was sort of the death blow for Clemson. They just weren't able to do anything uh, as far as slowing down that LSU offense. Yeah, and I mean, they were already kind of on the downward trend by that point. Yeah, they um, were getting worn down. I think I texted you. Uh, it was just, you could see the fatigue setting in for Clemson and yeah. the effort and the force that they were hitting those LSU players with just died dramatically once LSU took over that game offensively. And whatever Venables did, it looked like he was in a three-one-seven when he came out um, defending Joe Burrows. And for whatever reason, uh, the passing game uh, made a couple tweaks, uh, and, and they were able to finally get rolling. Obviously, the field position was very detrimental to LSU in the beginning of the game. Uh, but once they got that field position battle, the tides really turned in a pretty dramatic way. And... Um, you know, eventually when we look back on this LSU team, we may be talking about them as one of the best college football teams ever. That The talent that they have At in least that wide receiver room is nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, Chase and Jefferson, already unfair. They could make an average quarterback look outstanding. But then you go back and look at the stats that Joe Burrow has put together this year. He may have had the best year as a college quarterback that anybody's had statistically. And, yeah, I, and that's I mean, I probably think... a fact. I think he had it. I mean, 60 touchdowns. He threw 14, he, or he had 14 total touchdowns in two college football playoff games. Jeez. Like, are you kidding me? Deshaun Watson is the next closest guy who's played two games with seven. Yeah. Like, that's how good he, he, he was and, and is. I mean, he had 60 passing touchdowns this year. 60. Right. Right. I mean. That's just, that's so productive. You know, Colt um, Brennan was the was the leader before that. You know, there's 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 yeah, a name for Colt the old Brennan. memory box. Colt Brennan, a guy that was a complete system quarterback in Hawaii, um, back when Hawaii was producing guys like Colt Brennan and Timmy Chang on a regular basis. Colt Brennan um, and Timmy Chang. Well, you know, Colt yeah. Brennan, Timmy Chang, I think did make it to the NFL too. But Brennan was a uh, Washington Redskin there for a little bit for you there Redskin you go. fans. There you go. And yeah, so if you're in that kind of conversation and you're doing it in the SEC. Just that's crazy. That's hard to believe. But that's what we were dealing with LSU this year. Vertically, that attack was just vicious. 
in in Chase especially. What a hell of a talent that guy is a wide receiver. Um, but yeah, it, it just Clemson. I think looked in the beginning like they, you said. Okay, hey, the, this is going to be the one team that's going to give LSU problems, and then just like kind of the tide turns as you're sitting there on the beach and you watch the shoreline get closer and closer, eventually LSU just swept over them and just overwhelmed them just up and down, up and down the field. Um, in punishing runs, Edward Tolaire, I thought, had a couple of really, really punishing runs. And even the wide receivers ran like running backs for the most part. Um, really physical, and it, it took its toll. Yeah, the uh, Edward Solaire, you know, he had the play where he was clearly out of bounds, um, which that was Come just on. one of a few plays where I'm like, are we really, are we really getting that call wrong in this situation? The late Clemson touchdown, which I think had little to do with the game, it had really more to do with the point spread for you gamblers out there, where Trevor Lawrence throws a bomb uh, downfield. I think it was Justin Ross, and they called offensive pass interference, and I mean, it was just an atrocious call. Terrible. I mean, terrible. If anything, and at least at least it didn't happen in a situation where the game may have been a little closer. That no, would have been a real travesty. I tell you, like when we saw Clemson pressing press pressing there at the end offensively, and we saw Trevor Lawrence get out of the pocket and start running. Like I just watching the game, I was just waiting for him to do that, and I yeah. felt like there was opportunities for him to do that, even if he's only getting three, four yards. Like it's better than throwing the ball out of bounds, or it's better than throwing an incomplete pass, or you know, overthrowing a receiver. I think he had 13 or 14 overthrows in this game. Like, he was clearly just off. There was also times where it looked like maybe his uh, his receivers were running the wrong routes. You know, it's tough to tell when we're watching the game, but when I see a receiver running downfield full steam and Lawrence has already thrown the ball and it's about 10 yards away from the receiver because he's running a different route, I right. just have to question, like, what's what's going on offensively? Are you on the right page? Um, so there was just a lot of things that just was not clicking. Like I wanted him to use Travis Etienne a little bit more, um, just because I felt like he was one of the few things that was really working. Um, that run game, like there was, they had a little bit of trickeration, you know, some reverse plays in the in the backfield that really got them some big yardage and a touchdown there to T Higgins. But um, yeah, I mean, otherwise, just you know, LSU dominated, and you know, you mentioned the receivers. And Clemson's got good defensive backs. You know, yeah. we, it was, it's the strength of their defense this year, the defensive yeah. back play. And they looked like underclassmen. They got absolutely manhandled by those LSU receivers. I mean, and they weren't just beating the defenders. I mean, they were there. It wasn't like complete blown coverage. They were just getting beat consistently, yeah. play after play. And Joe Burrow... I mean, the guy was just every throw dropping it in the bucket. Yeah. I mean, the guy was just just dimes all over the field. I mean, you can't cannot be understated how accurate yeah. that guy and, is a quarterback. And look, you've heard some people talking back and forth, and, and I'm going to say Hokies Twitter. Most of the people I follow are Hokies, but I've seen some mention of Joe Burrow really benefiting from how good his wide receivers were and I think that's partly correct obviously the talent wide receiver that LSU had is almost unprecedented um you know wide receiver of the year uh but great wide receivers I mean they go four to five deep as far as those wide receivers go and talent goes but if you go back and watch those wide receivers making plays on those balls yes the plays they made on a lot of those balls across the season were 
awesome plays. But Joe Burrow is putting the ball where only the LSU receivers can get it. And that is a hard thing to do. And he continued to do that against one of the best secondaries in college football, which was uber impressive. Because that was the one test, right, was, okay, we've seen what Burrow has done, and he's completely torn through everybody like they were a wet paper bag, but Clemson, that's going to be the team to give him trouble, and it looked like it was starting off that way. And then he just turned into Joe again. And like you said, dropping it in the bucket. Yeah, and I mean, I really, really, really hate that argument. Oh, well, his receivers are so good. You know, I saw some noise... It was Skip Bayless, of all people. He's just a blowhard trying to get attention, but it really pissed me off. Imagine if Tom Brady had Devontae Adams. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Tom Brady had Randy Moss at one point in his career, never won a Super Bowl with him. Right, right. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he yeah. has Devontae Adams and a bunch of yeah. guys that weren't drafted playing receiver. Right. So don't give me that argument. It's Tom Brady made game. Wes Welker look like Jerry Rice at one yeah. point. Like, like, come on. And the thing is, it's like, yeah— LSU's got really good receivers. You know what? They also have the best offensive line in college football. Oh, sure. And they also have a good tight end. Oh, yeah. And Joe Burrow is actually good at football. It's okay to say that. All of okay? it can be true at once. Can it just like all that, be true? It's, yeah. not, it's not because the receivers are so much better. Yeah. Golly. It's important that they're beating the defensive backs. But yeah. It's not like Joe Burrow is some run-of-the-mill quarterback who's completing 45% of his passes, and he's got his receivers out there making them yeah. look good. And That's they're not, not bailing the him out, catching balls behind them. It's not like that gonna at all. here's what's going to happen. Burrow's going to get drafted by the horrendous Cincinnati Bengals, Ugh. and he's not going to look nearly as good as he looks now because you can't because the Bengals right. are just perennial dumpster fire and always because will Bengals. be. Because Bengals, right. And people are going to point to this and, well, you know, Clearly, it was just the the talent he had around him in LSU. Just like the yeah. Lamar Jackson thing. Well, you know, this guy just can't win a playoff game. He's in year two. Yeah. It's just, All the it's other a, guys that were drafted take. ahead of him in the first round, guess what? They ain't won a playoff game either. And only one of them's been to the playoffs. So, pump right. the brakes. I hate how everybody overreacts the second a game happens. The whole yeah. Trevor Lawrence to Deshaun Watson comparison this morning, <laughs> I heard really... Just did not sit well with me. I mean, you've got a quarterback. He's twenty-five and one, and he's twenty years old. Right. Like. Right. Do you remember what he did to Alabama last year? Do I need to remind you of the score? Forty-four to sixteen. Right. He's he's allowed to have a poor performance. Okay. LSU is actually good on defense. Like it happens. Yeah. You know. So yeah. people need to stop overreacting. Clemson lost. LSU was the better team. There was no doubt about it. And it is what it is. LSU had a great season. Coach O got the job done. You know, let's see where they go from here. They're obviously not going to have Joe Burrow walking through that door. They never have at LSU. Like this, I mean, Joe Burrow is the greatest quarterback in LSU history. Wait, well, I mean, go back to all those good LSU teams where they've had playmakers at wide receiver all over the place. Landry, Beckham. Um, defenses that just you can't believe the physicality, the size, and the speed. And it was always, dude, if LSU could get a quarterback, they'd be really good. This is kind of what happens when LSU gets a quarterback. Right. They had Zach Mettenberger, who was okay. 
you know, Jamarcus Russell back in the day. We all know about him. But, I mean, Joe Burrow just hands yeah. above anything they've ever had there. And, I mean, they've always Correct. had talent. We see, we keep seeing these LSU receivers just blow up in the NFL. We're like, well, where did these guys come from? That's right. They weren't anything in college. It's because they yes, never had a quarterback. The offensive coordinators were that bad. Um, so, it, it was a mix of all that. They never had a quarterback. A lot of the quarterback issues were tied to the scheme. Um, and they've started to figure that out. Now they're set up as a team with a coach that may be the most likable coach in the history of college football and a guy that geographically speaking could not be placed in a better location uh, for himself. He's home. He lives and breathes the program that he works for. And His backyard I, is a swamp that he sleeps yeah, in. That's right. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, he takes his fan boat to work and that's, you know, that's coach. O. uh, one of my favorite people on the earth and and we're talking about LSU now as um they're not going anywhere they're just not uh they'll reload and and they've got the system figured out now to where I think you can get a quarterback who's not quite Joe Burrow and win the title again um you're not going to need Joe to do it but you will have to continue to recruit at the level you've been recruiting from a playmaker standpoint defense's scheme's going to have to stay the sh- the same I think they've done really well with the 3-4 and the multiple fronts that they've run um but they're not going anywhere, and that's because Coach O, a guy who had been written off at Ole Miss um, and USC, to see him have that success in a place that means that much to him, really cool for me. Yeah, I really hope Coach O picks up a big old ham sponsorship too. Because he needs after it. the end of every game, he's like, "I'm go home, eat a ham sandwich, and watch Sports Center, and wake up and do it again." And then he just sits there and laughs. laughs. That was a pretty and good coach. Like, o. is there is there a better proponent of ham in the pork industry in America right now? I really don't think there is. If he doesn't have his own ham line by February first, I'm going to be upset, and I'm going to go out and look, fire his agent for him and volunteer myself. He's on to something. A ham's great. So, are you a Virginia ham, a honey ham, or a regular ham kind of guy? Um, I th- I think I'm like in between the honey and, and the regular, you know, oh, I, I like my good kind of like, uh, you know, crispy brown sugar layer out Ooh. there. That's okay. kind of what I'm into. You know, okay. I, I like that outer layer a lot, but like a Virginia ham, not, not my yeah, favorite. It's a little, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the smoke on the ham. Right. Um, you know, in the honey ham can be a bit sweet sometimes, but you know, a good old regular ham where it looks like they just boiled pig pieces in a pot. Yeah, let it firm up and slice. I mean, that's that's heaven right there. That's yeah. heaven. And I, and, I just and, I want Coach O to like that one too. Just so I, you I'll, know, I'll feel more does like does a man. Coach O really strike you as a honey ham kind of guy? No, no, no. He doesn't. He's a regular ham kind of guy. <laughs> I know he is. I know he is. He's got to be. You know, and, and you know he's only eating that sandwich with a little bit of mustard. There's oh, there's not a lot of fancy business going on with that sandwich. Got some got some chips over there, and probably a nice cold you know miller high life or something like that oh yeah and it's definitely he's definitely eating zaps uh voodoo kettle cooked chips that would be my bet as to what he's eating i'd really love to see his home because like what my imagination of it is (laughs) what it actually is i'm sure is very different (laughs) oh it's it's Um, not what i imagine which is a lot of animal heads mounted and a lot of wood paneling (laughs) Uh, i know that's not a lot of wood panel like a a recliner that's like plaid and about 35 years old that's right in the seat and 
That's it. You know, he's got a few gators on the wall. You know, nothing, yeah. nothing too crazy. But yeah, we you know, you, Coach. Uh, Coach O, man, I treasure. Uh, he's a treasure. I love that guy. He's um interesting. Sad about LSU. Their last three head coaches have all won national championships. So hey. at the at the school, Nick Saban, Les Miles, and now Coach O. So I always forget impressive. that Les won a national title. Is that the one that LSU didn't play in the title game but went undefeated or something along those lines? Uh, it was 2007. Okay, they won the BCS. They they won the BCS championship game. Okay, but they had two losses. Got it. Okay, uh, so and if you recall, we played them that year. Virginia right. Tech did and got oh, smoked. I recall sadly. I, I remember exactly what I was doing. It was one of the more just. Uh, horrendous losses in our history. Um, 41-7, I believe, was the final. But, uh, you know, Hokies ended up getting back to the Hey, we did all right. Lost to yeah. Kansas. So, you know, that's what it is. I will never um, forgive you, Akib Talib. So, interesting question that was posed during the game. Would an all-ACC team without Clemson players be able to beat Clemson to win the ACC? So taking all the best talent around the ACC from 13 teams going up against Clemson. Sadly, I don't think so. So the this issue year, there is going to be it's going to be obviously your quarterback production. So I imagine you're going to say I'm taking Jamie Newman. Um well, yeah, as your yeah, you you would be picking between Newman, Bryce Perkins or Ah, Bryce. Bryce is Hendon, a baller. Hendon Hooker. Bryce is a baller, man. Um, it de- it depends. Like, can I build my offense off of the All ACC team? Like, yeah. Do I, can I pick and choose? Like, oh, I want this quarterback to match up with this talented receiver. No, no, you've you got to be able to pick and choose. You can't okay, take the scheming out of college football. Um, I mean, I think like receiver wise, you'd be okay. You know, you've got Sage Surratt. You could throw in Scotty Washington. You know, you've got number of other guys around the dude conference. daz newsome baby daz line newsome. him up out there yeah um you, you know, know running you, back you know travis Etienne. you know trevor lawrence obviously now um, can the we do this line was a one of bit the better like ones in the country an ultimate team kind of thing where i can choose special versions of my players like can i choose bowl game deshaun mcleese no ah okay and yeah, he would have no. been first on my list okay um Maybe. I mean, I'm going to give AJ, you a solid AJ maybe. Dillon's going to be your running back. Okay. Oh, no doubt. So you're going to have the power run game in there. Uh, you know, your receiver, you're definitely going to have Sage Surratt. And then let's throw in a Daz Newsome for an athletic standpoint. You know, tight end-wise, let's. I'm going to go ahead and nominate Dalton Keene. Because he's your, your oh, Swiss Rambo. Army knife. He can do anything. I can move him around wherever on the field. Yep. From an offensive lineman standpoint, you know, take your pick. I'm sure we could muster together five offensive linemen that are that are pretty good yeah um, i mean i think i think just based on the rule of numbers i think your line would on both sides would be at least as good but probably better than clemson yeah. just based on numbers yeah you know where you're, where you're gonna have trouble facing clemson is going to be matching etienne and lawrence and justin ross and t higgins i don't think that those weapons can quite be replicated with the current acc as it stands yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you have to replicate every single one of those weapons. I mean, you're not going to replicate ETN because he's a special talent. No, yeah, um, that's what I mean. You can't. You can you get can. by with you, the receivers, I think. You can um, get by, but I, I would still, I think I would still take Higgins and Ross 
over anything else in the ACC at the moment. And obviously, you're going to take Lawrence and Etienne. So that that right there gives Clemson a, a kind of an advantage on offense where you would be able to make up the difference, I think, would be the law of numbers on defense. I think you could put together a defense that could slow them down. So, I mean, it seemed like a preposterous question to me at first, just based on how many teams there are in the ACC. But you almost get to the point where you're like, man, even at best, this is still kind of a toss-up, right? Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, Clemson is filling all of those all-ACC teams. So you're taking away a lot of players that you would, and you've got guys that are good. They're just not up to the level of the players that you're trying to fill in for that are missing, essentially. So, Right. um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that just shows kind of how, um, you know, above everybody else Clemson is right now. Uh, They are certainly catchable, but I thought it was a good question. So that came from... uh, from my buddy D Walt there. I don't know where he got that from or if he just thought about it himself, but I thought that That's was a, a good hell one. of a question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about some other hokey news here. So, you know, we mentioned Dalton clean leaving and, uh, you know, I was pretty surprised when I saw that. I just was not expecting it. Um, do I think he can play in the NFL? Absolutely. Um, I just don't know. And again, like, I'm not saying this was a wrong decision or not. I just don't know for him, like, you know, did he get, like, information from the NFL draft that he liked? You know, I don't know. But either way, yeah, you know, Virginia Tech's without, uh, you know, one of their their leaders on offense, uh, really for the team, I can imagine. Um, you know, from a tight end room perspective, I think they'll be okay. I just think, like we mentioned earlier, you know, Dalton Keene was more than a tight end. He was essentially an extension of the offensive line. He was a guy who could carry the ball if he needed to. You know, he could do so many different things. And he was a player where you look at the box score and you're like, oh, well, he only had 59 catches in his career. But he does so much that's not seen on the box score. That's the right. thing with him. So right. film-wise, I think, you know, from a from a talent evaluation, he should grade out pretty well. Yeah. And I know he and his family were really close with Charlie Wiles, so I don't know if that departure in the method or the way he that, said that was handled it didn't. sat well he with him. He said it didn't. Sure, you can always say it didn't, but I, I know how close he and the family were to Charlie. So it wouldn't surprise me if that maybe rubbed him the wrong way. And, and maybe it wasn't the reason, but maybe it played into kind of tilting the scales in favor of the NFL. I think he could be really good athletically. He's a guy that, really fits that tight end profile well. He's a bit of a tweener from a size perspective. Um, so that's something he'll have to figure out, maybe bulk up and become more of a blocking tight end than he is I don't currently. know. I mean, the NFL is such a different game now, though. It is. The NFL it is, is but, so much more of a, a college game these days. Right, right. But the, the guys that are playing the NFL, the undersized tight ends that you see, are, athletically speaking, I think just a little bit ahead of where he is. I think his best fit would be to bulk up a little bit and try to be one of those uh, tight ends in a scheme, uh, maybe a vertical power run scheme where you're still going to have tight ends that get down the field, but they're going to be you know fairly good at blocking in the power run. I think that might be a good fit for him. But um, either way, I mean, I, I think Dalton, I think, can make it in the NFL. I don't think there's any question. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the first thing that came to mind for me is maybe he just didn't like how he was being utilized in the offense. Sure. That could, I could see that. You know, because you, you're a tight end. You want to, you know, play like a tight end plays. And, I mean, you get stuck in a system that, you know, not really showing your skill set to the best of things. I kind of – I always I always think back to Eddie Royal. When Eddie Royal was at Virginia Tech, 
did you think he'd have a seven to eight year career in the NFL? No. Never even registered. Nope. But he got out of that horrendous system that we were running at the time and was able to to shine. Yeah. Able to see he looked like a completely different player. And so that's kind of what I thought when I read it. And that's just my opinion. Um, no, I mean but, you're absolutely right. That could have played into it. And yeah. Um I, I certainly think we could have leaned on the tight ends much heavier than we did. And we could have used them in certainly a more traditional way, especially where Dalton's concerned. Um and maybe that is. Maybe he felt like that wasn't showcasing necessarily what he was the best at. Um but I think he's he's gonna he's a guy that's gonna go to the combine. I think he's gonna be a winner there. Um you know, I, I think he'll make some money at the Combine. I don't know that he'll necessarily be drafted high, but I think a guy was hit with his work ethic, his athletic ability, and his desire, I, I think he can make it, especially in a position like tight end. Um, another guy who's leaving is Deshaun McLeese, so I, I think that caught some people off guard, but if you stop and think about Deshaun McLeese, like he's a guy who dates back to the Beamer era. He was really one of right. the last ties to that, to that era of football, and uh, he's gonna he'd be 24 years old by the time next season rolls around you know so he's considerably older than most of the guys on the team um, and would have had to apply for a six year of eligibility you know he yep. he's a guy who who missed a lot of time because of injuries um, and you know he had a he had a good career you know I, I don't know if he's gonna to get a look in the NFL I, I'd, I'd be a little surprised if he got drafted but uh, with running backs these days, you never know. You know, it, it's a position where you know, right place, right time. He's a guy who can also you know catch the ball out of the backfield. So, you know, we'll see what happens with McLeese. You know, I don't think it was guaranteed he was going to get a whole lot of touches next year. If you look at that running back room right now, we've got ten scholarship running backs for 2020, not counting McLeese. So, you know, if there is going to be attrition, you would expect it to be from there, especially with guys like. Raheem Blackshear coming in, who we'll talk about in a second, and you know, Caleb Herbert and the the JUCO guy coming in. You know, there's there's a lot of new faces in that running back room that are going to want the ball and that are expected to be touching the ball right away, uh, coming in at the level that they're coming in at. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, some of the younger guys or some of the guys that we've seen kind of fall out of the mix uh, depart. And again, I mean, that's just kind of part of college football these days. I wouldn't, you know, hit the panic button if we see that. I think it's okay. Um, no, but, we're due to see some of that, and so is every other program now that the new rules are what they are. It's not, you know, ever since that one off season where it seemed like we had a higher than normal transfer uh, out of the program, some of Frank's guys, I, it's been like a running joke about Virginia Tech and the transfer portal, but I don't think it's any more than any other university is at this point. Everybody's dealing with it. And of the guys that transferred out, I mean, go back and look. How many of those did we really miss? I, you know, I'm not necessarily sure. So uh, as far as McLeese is concerned, running back being the position that it is now, um, in my opinion, you're better off to leave early as a running back. You're not going to earn a lot more money by staying. And your years are sort of limited with the wear and tear you take. So running backs being as kind of disposable as they are in the NFL, as bad as it sounds, uh, I'm all for McLeese going in and, and securing that bag, man. I, I want him to go ahead and make some money. I think that's a that's a great thing for a guy who I think has been an awesome representative for Virginia Tech. Uh, so we mentioned Raheem Blackshear. So, uh, you know, former three-star wide receiver. 
um, now running back for, for Rutgers. And this was a guy who was recruited by Jafar Williams, who's our wide receiver coach. Um, so you can see the connection there. And Jerry Kill was actually the offensive coordinator uh, his freshman year. So he has some ties to the Virginia Tech program that way. Uh, he was actually Big Ten honorable mention in 2018, which being at Rutgers, that's pretty impressive, I'd say. It's impressive, yeah. You know, 586 yards rushing. He caught 44 balls for 367 yards. So, you know, he's got some playmaking ability out of the backfield. You know, the one thing that I think kind of gives him a shot at having um, – his appeal claim accepted is that once Chris Ash was fired at Rutgers, he sat out. So he did not play the rest of the season, which I think was under the four game limit. Um, so not sure if that will play to his benefit or not. Typically that does because players yeah. can say, well, because of the coaching change, you know, um, yeah, you know, I was blindsided, blah, blah, blah. And they'll, they'll uh, let him yeah. come through. So, I think it's likely because of that. I mean, the NCAA has seemed to rule favorably on that based on anecdotal evidence. I mean, you can probably pool things that speak to the opposite, but I feel like they've looked kindly on the coaches switching. And I think he's a nice ad. I mean, a lot of people are looking at this and saying, we don't need another running back, but stop for a second. Um, we sure could use a third down running back, a guy that can catch passes out of the backfield. But I think more than, than anything, I think we're looking at a guy that may be lining up in the slot. Um, yeah. and, and he certainly seems to have a nice skill set and a nice uh, physical uh, skill set specifically uh, to lend itself well, well to that nice, uh, crisp, shifty kind of underneath route running slot receiver that may, maybe we missed at times uh, and, and, and see how he fits in. I, you can't have enough playmakers, and that's exactly what he is. No, and I mean, running back's a tough position in college football. You know, it's it's a it's a tough position to play. It's a position where you need bodies there. So, you know, I, I don't think you can ever really have enough running backs. Um, you know, this year, you know, attrition didn't hurt us too much there. You know, Jalen Holston went down, but, you know, we had enough guys to step up that stayed relatively healthy throughout the season. So, you know, Kashawn King, he's the uh, kind of lead guy coming back. And, you know, he only had 345 yards rushing this year. So uh, there's still there's still some uh, room for improvement at that position. Uh, you know, Marco Lee is the JUCO transfer I cited, too. So that's kind of like a big banger type of guy. Uh, you still got Taj, uh, is it Taj Gary? Um, yes. Down there towards the bottom of the, of the depth chart this year. A guy who's seen as very raw. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, right now the Hokies are still sitting at 88 scholarships. 85 is the threshold. You know, they have had some medical retirements with Will Pritchard, Dylan Rivers, and Aiden Brown, uh, who Sean Gaines is transferring, which shouldn't be a surprise. You know, he's some guy. He, he's a guy who's uh, dealt with some personal issues. And, and, so, um, and some injury issues. Some House injury issues. Tough. So um, yeah. uh, he's going to be granted another year to go to play as a grad transfer, so we'll see where he lands. Um, but, yeah, you know, other than that, you know, we'll, we'll follow the player news and – you know, we'll expect it to stay kind of relatively the same, or unless Fuente leaves, then I think we might see some activity pick up there as far as the uh, the transfers go. But um, let's talk about some of the coaching hires since we haven't done that, Tim. The two the two most recent ones I want to talk about are, um, you know, briefly we'll hit on the new cornerback coach Ryan Smith. So, you know, this is a young guy. He uh, this this was announced today, Tuesday. Um, you know, he only spent one season at JMU. He had two seasons at Elon. He was a graduate assistant at Penn State and uh, UT San Antonio. So, um, 
you know, he graduated from William and Mary in 2014. He was a walk on there. He got a, a scholarship his senior year. He's from King William, Virginia, so he's got that tie. And uh, it seems like he's coached exclusively safeties and corners. And the guys that he's coached have had success. You know, they've been named to like a lot of all-conference teams, things like that. So I think that's a positive. He's a younger guy. Uh, definitely not a splash higher. Um, but clearly there's something they see in this guy that, you know, made them want to wait for him coming from the FCS level. Um, and, you know, he has had some success everywhere he's been just with, with getting the best out of his players. So from that standpoint, you know, I think it's good. And I also think, you know, being a younger guy maybe relates better to some of these younger recruits. You know, I don't, I don't ever think that's a bad thing. No, it, it can't be. Um, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen a little more experience, but at some point you do have to kind of reach down in order to get some really impactful coaches. Um, and he seems like a guy that should be able to connect with recruits pretty well. Uh, you know, and, and obviously there's a lot to be said about guys that come from winning programs, no matter what the level is. Uh, so, you know, the hope there, I think, is you're getting a winner who can kind of help you out in multiple facets from coaching to, to recruiting. Um, and other than that, I don't know a whole lot about him. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say that I really follow the safeties coach at JMU very closely. Um, you know, but if the coaching staff feels confidently that he's the guy for the job, uh, you know, I'm on board with it. Uh, the other guy, Bill Tierlink, defensive line coach. So this this is kind of a uh, exciting hire for the Hokies. So it's a guy who, you know, he worked with Wednesday at Illinois State back in the day. He's been eight years in the NFL, uh, split up um, with a with a stint at Nevada in between, where he was uh, promoted from D line coach to defensive coordinator before going back to the NFL with the Buffalo Bills. So. Uh, his dad, John Tierlink, uh, you know, played in the NFL. He was a longtime defensive line coach. You know, I think that was the connection for him to to jump to the NFL with Indianapolis. So they, he coached together there with his dad as a uh, defensive assistant. And um, you know, he's he's had some some good success. He's a well thought of uh, person. You know, he's a self described blue collar guy. Um, there's a good video that that the Bills did a couple of years ago to kind of introduce him to the coaching staff that that I'll tweet out once I find it again. But he kind of talks about his background a little bit and and the kind of the kind of guy he is, and that's where the the blue collar mentality came from. But you know, a guy with ample experience. You know, I think the thing that Virginia Tech is looking for Tim is you know producing a little bit more NFL talent from that defensive line. And you know, the last Hokies defensive end to get drafted. And actually play defensive end. Do you have any guess? Uh, Daddy Nicholas, Daryl Tap. That was Daddy Nicholas played defensive end. Yeah. So he played defensive end, but he didn't play there in the NFL. Oh right, because he played outside linebacker in a three-four scheme. That's Correct. kind of ugh. an outside linebacker in a three-four scheme is basically a defensive end in a fourth. But. But we don't Not have the to have traditional that conversation. Style. So Daddy Agreed. Nicholas, Jason Worlds, Chris Ellis, those are all guys that were drafted. Those were the only three guys that were drafted in the last decade. Oh, Jason Worlds, man. How did I forget about him? Jason Worlds. You know beast. why he left the NFL? Why is that? Uh, Jehovah's Witness. Okay. Good so for him. he decided that it was more valuable to do that. So that was, that was interesting because I didn't know that until I looked it up one day. I was like, I wonder what ever happened to Jason Worlds. So he was pretty young, yeah. yeah. Um, when he retired, but yeah, that's what it was. Okay, well, good to um, know. And you know, I I agree. I think getting some more prototypical type defensive linemen 
Um, certainly having a coach who is not only a coach himself, but a second generation NFL coach like Tierlink uh, is great. Or Tierlink. I mean, that's going to be a tough name for me. I, I'm going to have to listen to that one more than a few times. Um, I think it's I think it's Tierlink. Tierlink. Look, it, it can't be anything but good. You know, I will say I think Charlie Wiles got a little scapegoated. Uh, in regards to that lack of producing uh, NFL-type linemen. But, um, you know, if we're going to have a system and a guy that wants to go out there and, and get that talent, and he certainly seems like a guy who is in it for the right reasons, coming from the NFL to the NCAA to be a position coach, certainly not a lateral move in uh, one that you only make if your you know conviction is high that you'd rather be coaching young men and, and building young men I couldn't be happier. And, and you talk about this is the opposite of uh, the cornerbacks coach because this is a splash hire. This is a great pool for Fuente and company. And, you know, when I heard it rumored, I almost didn't believe it. It seemed like he was rumored for weeks before this actually happened. Uh, but really, really excited for him to get down here and, and start coaching defensive linemen. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a good hire, and uh, especially with some of the defensive uh, linemen that we've got coming in in the 2020 class. Uh, there, there should be ex- some excitement around that position to see how, uh, how Coach Bill, we'll call him Coach Bill, see how Coach Bill can, uh, can develop these guys. So, um, that's all I had for football news. Did we, did we talk about Charlie Wiles in the last one going to NC State? I, I'm not sure. I don't think we did. Uh, yeah, I can't remember when. I mean, that we went we down. mentioned that it would be a good fit, but it went down Friday, and we haven't done a pod since Friday. Okay. So. So it was Friday. Um, Man, my days are really running together. So uh, I hear Charlie Wiles is now the defensive line coach at NC State. So he joins Brian Mitchell, who is uh, there in the same same role that he was at Virginia Tech as the cornerback coach. So, um, you know, good for good for Charlie to go to NC State. I think that's a pretty good hire for them. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, he um, was dis- dismissed from Virginia Tech, but uh, NC State is just looking for anything um, – from a coaching perspective that they can get a boost from. So I think the, the Charlie Wiles fit is a, is a, is a good play there for Dave Dorn. Yeah. It's, it's not just, you know, it's like a, a boost at face value too. It really fits from a cultural standpoint. Um, and also a recruiting standpoint, one of his best areas was kind of the sort of the triad area of North Carolina and the state as a whole. So if you're NC state, you get to plug in a guy who is a better recruiter than he has a reputation to be. Um, you know, I think it got mixed up with the fact that he wasn't landing some high level defensive line guys that kind of got mixed up with the, Hey, he's not a great recruiter. The fact is Charlie Wiles was landing many recruits at many different positions for Virginia tech and was one of the staff's strongest recruiters. Um, Bobby I'm happy Keen, as, as we heck. mentioned. Yeah. And I, I'm happy as heck for Charlie Wiles. I mean, you, you talk about as far as a guy goes, NC state couldn't be getting a better guy. Um, and, and they got one of the better defensive line coaches in college football. So a win-win for Doran now adding, uh, you know, I think Mitchell was a win, and I think Wiles is a grand slam. Um, anything else? from? Oh, so, yeah, there was one more thing. So Jamie Newman is yeah. going to be a Georgia Bulldog. So there was actually talk of him going to Oregon, and then Jake Fromm announced he was leaving early, and then uh, – Newman just slips right into George's DMs, and next thing you know, he's the the quarterback <laughs> for the Bulldogs. So yeah. that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to watch. I think that's a pretty good fit, especially given the yeah. uh, the run first mentality of that offense. I think uh, Newman will fit in well there. Yeah, I do too. And you know, I'm a little biased towards Georgia. I consider them my SEC team uh, only because I you know I I went to high school in Georgia, grew up in Georgia for a short amount of time. 
um, yeah, I, th- I think he's a great fit for that program, and I'm going to be rooting hard for Georgia now. I- I'd like to see Jamie uh, have success there and repeat what he was able to do at Wake Forest, and I think um, you know, I, I've heard some people mention, oh, well, the SEC is going to be quite the step up, but um, let's reframe that and consider that he's going to have a surrounding cast that was recruited and signed by Georgia, not recruited and signed by Wake Forest. No offense to Wake Forest, but that talent level is quite different and the talent gap is quite large. So uh, maybe Although he can leverage Although offensively, Wake line. Forest was very strong this year. They were good this year in a weak ACC, which I yeah. think is always going to have to be. But I don't want to understate Sage Surratt and Scotty Washington. I think no, no, those, no. They they were great, but I'm mainly speaking towards the line and the running backs that Georgia Tech or Georgia Tech Georgia tends to trot out. Uh, leagues different yeah. than what Wake Forest has. For sure. So having that kind of pressure alleviated from him in the run game, Cade Carney was no slouch, but uh, you know every Georgia back who's any good. Uh, any Georgia back, any running back who's any good goes to Georgia. It's getting too late for me, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to watching him, man. That's going to be so cool to see how he does. And uh, props to him for making what had to be a tough decision. And, uh, you know, props to Wake Forest. They seem to handle it well. And, and you know, they were classy about the whole thing. So um, these are what the rules are in there for, is to give guys like this a chance to not be punished and to potentially go make some more money. So now we have Russell Wilson... Uh, part two occurring in uh, Athens next year. Yeah, so we'll see how it plays out. I think it's going to be a good fit for both. And, uh, you know, at the same time, Wake Forest, they still got Sam Hartman right there. So yeah, they're not really yeah. left holding the bag. Like they've got a very capable, uh, capable, uh, dare I say, backup. Yeah. They they chose to redshirt him this year. So Yeah, I mean, you got Sam Hartman's already one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC incumbent. Yeah, so, yeah. and he's um, going to be they, a sophomore. Yeah, good, from they're in good eligibility position. standpoint. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, before we end here, I did want to talk a little bit of Hokies basketball, but we'll keep it short since we went on such a rant about the Virginia Tech football coaching situation, but right. uh, Hokies, man, they're they're looking good. I think they're 3-2 and two in the ACC right now. It's, uh, you know, halftime, or the second half just kicked off in the Wake Forest yeah. game, so they're up by two here, so, uh, you know, we'll see if they can close this out and go to 4-2 and two in conference against one of the weaker teams in the ACC in Wake Forest, but... You know, right now, if if uh, March Madness started today and the selection committee was was choosing teams, Virginia Tech would be in the tournament. There's no yeah, doubt. Yeah, firmly you know? in the tournament. Uh, um, they're sitting there at 12 and four. They've got a, a big win over Michigan State. You know, their losses are good losses. I mean, not that you can have good losses, but they don't have a loss to like Maryland Eastern Shore, for example. Their losses to Dayton. They've got a loss to BYU, which I don't know where BYU's sitting right now, Tim. But yeah, you know Dayton is a top fifteen team at the moment. They only have two losses on the season, um, and then Virginia and uh, and Duke are the other two. So, you know they're losing the teams that we kind of expect them to lose to at this point. Uh, but they're competing with everybody, which right. outside of the Virginia game where. You know, it wasn't necessarily Virginia that beat them down. It was just a horrendous shooting performance. Um, they've seemed to snap out of that over the last couple of games, specifically uh, the second half of that Syracuse game that kind of woke them up with the Jalen Cohen performance. But, you know, the Hokies are looking good. And one guy I want to give a shout-out to is uh, Tyrese Radford. Oh, and, I yeah. Mean, that guy is playing out of his mind. Yeah. And I, I said a couple games ago, he reminds me of Dennis Rodman. Yeah, if only he were about six inches, you know, taller, like Dennis right. Rodman was, he would be an absolute dynamite rebounder. He already is. But the way that that guy plays, he plays so big. He's only six foot one. And I believe he was a walk on last year. 
Yes. And I mean, what we're getting out of him is uh, is pretty incredible. And I think that just goes to the job that Mike Young is doing. You know, I was watching some of that Clemson-Duke game earlier tonight, uh, which Clemson won, by the way. And they started talking about, you know, who has a chance to, you know, potentially knock off some of the big teams in the ACC. And, you know, they didn't really have one, but, you know, the, the commentator, I can't remember who it was, said... Um, you know the job that Mike Young is doing is is uh, is pretty impressive, and the way he described the offense as like a hybrid European model, I thought was a yeah. pretty good example. Um, and I'm, I'm telling you, once Virginia Tech gets a big man to to kind of finish off this offense, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, they're going to be tough to beat. And the main takeaway for me is I hate to be that they play the game the right way guy, but I'm going to be that guy when it comes to Virginia Tech. I mean unselfish basketball, just movement off the ball, constant running, taking charges when charges need to be taken, uh, body language, all good, bench celebrating all the buckets, everything that you want to check off for a program that's in good stead and in a good place, Virginia Tech right now is checking it off. And man, you know, they're not the most talented team. We're just not there right now. Um, But we are maximizing our talent probably better than I've ever seen a team's talent maximized talent um, maximization cre- with a very young team. Like there, right. there are a lot of talented guys on this team, but they're just so young. At the, I mean, well, Jalen young. Cone should be yeah. in high school right now. Yeah. He graduated oh, they're early. young and young and by and large outside of Cone and uh, Landers, very unheralded uh, from a recruiting standpoint. And I think when you talk about Mike young, an aspect of that hire that was not talked about enough was the experience and the wealth of experience at Wofford that Mike Young had in maximizing the talent of a team that doesn't necessarily uh, tear up the recruiting scene. Virginia Tech is never going to compete with the UNCs, the Dukes, uh, the Kentuckys in the recruiting scene in basketball. Um, but I'll tell you what. If right you've now, got that's a, coach a good like, thing. Take yeah, a look at a UNC. Thing. You're going to be in trouble, and you're going to have to get involved with bag men and all sorts of those things. But it's probably never going to change. Now, it, the recruiting will get better than it is right now, just by the natural order of things. Um, but having a coach that can take all of these pieces and, and take away, take the pieces that he got this year and turn them after 16 games on a team that's going 12-4 and four with a net ranking in the top 35 of the country, incredible. And I in the get along that you're, you know, add the fact you get a guy who's regionally a guy that just fits so perfectly. He's back home from a personality standpoint. He's Frank Beamer and sneakers. Um, Popcorn Popovich is the real deal. And I'm all in on Mike Young and the Hokies right now. What I'm seeing, the best part about what I'm seeing is what I see on a week in week out basis from that basketball team is wholly repeatable and we should expect smooth sailing in the future when it comes to basketball. This is impressive. No, yeah, it is. It's uh, it's a consistent product. The only thing that really kind of varies is you know sure. how how shooting how they're making baskets yeah. from game to game. So and when you rely on the three due to the lack of a big man, like we we kind of have to play that hand because that's what we're dealt right now. Um, you're going to have games where you can't hit the broad side of the barn, and and yeah. you know then you'll have games against Michigan State where you also shoot them down. So, right. you know, it gives and it takes. Yeah, so uh, bright bright days ahead for Virginia Tech from a basketball standpoint. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens from a football standpoint in the next couple of days here, Tim. But uh, that's all I had for today. So any, any final words before we uh, wrap this up? Yeah, just everybody calm down. 
Like Twitter, yeah. Twitter is just crazy right now. It's either the best or the worst. And I know I've mentioned this before. That's the new sport take climate that we're in. Yeah, uh, yeah it is. You know, thanks it's first annoying. take for for bringing that upon us. And uh, whoever Stephen yells and louder and you know sounds yeah. more ignorant wins. Sure. So, so just keep your head about you. Fuente leaving would be neither the best nor the worst. Um, so if Fuente does leave, keep your wits about you. I think Whit Bob- Babcock has proven. Uh, to be a pretty solid AD when it comes to making hires. Um, you know, so in the end, in wit we trust. If Fuente is to go, he's leaving behind the program that's in really good shape from a uh, talent standpoint, and that goes a long way. So, uh, yeah, let's, as I said in, in the beginning, let's, let's buckle up because we're going to go for a ride, I think, on this one. So that's our show. Once again, we are Chowder and Grits. You can find us anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Type in Chowder and Grits. Find us, like us, interact, tell your friends. And uh, most importantly, just be a fan of the show. Uh, You can listen to us anywhere. You know, Apple Podcasts seems to be the favorite. Spotify, you know, you can listen to us on our website, chowderandgrits.com. You know, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio. I could just go on and on. But if you type in Chowder and Grits into any podcast stream, more than likely, you're going to find us there. Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us once they get there? Leave some reviews, guys. We love those five-star reviews. Uh, Keep talking with us. Share our content. Interact with us on social media. Chat with us. We love it. Keep sending us the questions, man. We had a lot of questions to answer this time around, and we love it. Uh, Tell your friends to follow us. Keep putting a good word out about what we're doing here, and we certainly appreciate everything that you guys give to us on a regular basis as far as interaction and follows go. Um, And listens, obviously, are are the main thing. We love to see those go up, and we've been really happy and and, and proud to do what we do, and um, you know, it's a lot of fun for Justin and I. So, Thank you for this for the sport. Obviously, keep it going, and, and we look forward to giving you more content here in the very near future. See you guys later.